the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Listen to all that cheering for us. Hey, I'm John Harrison, and we are back for our weekly dive into all things biblical. That's right. This is the Bible Live, a celebration of the greatest book of all time, and a chance for you as a listener to kind of strengthen your relationship with our Heavenly Father. Soapy's again away from the studio, but we have we have Al on hand here, and we may be hearing from Stacy. We're not sure, you know, but uh, if she calls, we'll put her right on the air, and, and uh, you as well can be on the air. Let me get that number for you. 210-340-9585. If you have any questions, you can call with a story. You can call with a question. You can call with a comment. 210-340-9585. Hi, Al. Hey, thanks, John. So uh, for all of you people out there in listener land, uh, I'm trying to keep the seat warm for Soapy for the second week. This is a little unexpected. Doing a great job, I think. Well, thanks. Um I wanted to, uh, first of all, remind us about what the passages of Scripture that we're covering uh, from the last week. We had uh, Psalm 96. We had Proverbs 20, verses 17 through Proverbs 22, 16, the end of that. That's not, not quite the end of that chapter. I'm going to be covering a good bit of Proverbs, uh, things that I think are important for us to remember. And then we went into 1 Corinthians. We finished up 1 Corinthians and then all the way through 2 Corinthians. And then Job, Job 1, 1 through 527. We'll talk a good bit about Job. And I wanted to just give you a little bit of history about me and Soapy and Stacy and that. Um, I moved here with the Army in 1987. I retired in 93. And following that, um, I ended up uh, working with a defense contractor out at Brooks Air Force Base for a while. And then um, I had a chance to interview with Alan Axtell, who was the uh, superintendent of the San Antonio Christian Schools, and um, they were looking for a math-slash-science teacher, and I had had a hankering for teaching for quite some time. I had taught a little bit back on active duty at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to some college classes, and so I interviewed, and um, they managed to take my pay way down so I didn't have much to live with, but anyway, the whole point was... Uh, 
Stacy was a, a freshman in 1996, and her older, her middle brother, her older brother, they were both older, but Sean was a, a senior. I didn't get to know Scott until quite recently. And so anyway, one of the monikers that I got when I was teaching there, uh, that class, the class of 2000, uh, I ended up being one of their sponsors, and we went on trip to senior trip to uh, Colorado, and, and then later we went on a European trip with two classes. So anyway, uh, my moniker was given to me by, I don't know why, I am a doctor, by a doctor of optometry. So Dr. J became the moniker. And uh, 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 Stacy reminded me of that today when she followed up with a text, and she said, well, thanks, Dr. J. And I, that reminded me of that period of my life back there that I enjoyed very much at San Antonio Christian Schools. What they didn't know when they gave me the moniker was that Dr. J was Dr. Julius Irving of the ABA, who had a finger roll. He was above the rim, and he would just drop that ball in the bucket because he'd been in the air almost as long as Michael Jordan when he dropped that off. But when they called me Dr. J, all I could think of was Julius Irving. But anyway, so uh, I want to cover a little bit here about the difference between Proverbs and promises. Sometimes people are uh, reading the book of Proverbs, and they believe that if you read it, uh, that means it's a promise. For instance, we have this... Uh, this passage in, that talks about raising up a child and when he is old he won't depart from the way that you've taught him. That's a proverb. It's not a promise. There are many, many promises in God's word. So proverbs, if I can give you the definition, it comes from the Hebrew root word meaning to be like. The book of Proverbs is full of comparisons illustrating how various simple concepts represent the fundamental truths of life. Many of the proverbs collected in the book of Proverbs are from Solomon often referred to as the wisest man who'd ever lived, short of Jesus. Some 130 of them were compiled by men of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. The book closes with sayings from Agur and Lemuel. So a proverb is a short saying that expresses a universal truth for practical, godly living. That comes from ChristianityToday.com. The book represents or, or presents a consistent theme and you'll remember this from Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, the Hebrew word denotes there a person who is morally deficient, not just somebody who's foolish. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So I would like to uh, go off on a little bit here. I've highlighted some passages out of Proverbs that I would like to share with you. You've all heard them, I'm sure, if you've read Proverbs. I try to make it a point... It, there's 31, so if you read through the book of Proverbs one proverb a day, one chapter a day, you manage to impart this, uh, it becomes internalized for you in many cases. So it starts off in chapter 20, verse 1, says, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now that is from the NIV, and I'm going to just digress for a moment. Some of you may believe that uh, it's not proper for a Christian to drink alcohol at all. I can't find that prohibition in Scripture, but it certainly is warnings about don't get drunk or what happens when you get drunk. And people that drink too much uh, generally are trying to uh, cover some area of their life that's pretty painful. Now, following in verse 3, it says, 
It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. You will notice when you read through the Proverbs that they don't, it's not a continuous storyline or account. These are pithy, short, two-line statements generally that have a fundamental truth to them. Um, not saying they're not inspired, I'm just saying that they are not promises necessarily. They're observations of Solomon over his lifetime, or many of his, much of his lifetime. And he's trying to encapsulate what goes on in life and impart that to us in the, what we call the wisdom literature in Proverbs and, and also in Ecclesiastes. So if we continue on through our trek through the Proverbs, um, verse 15 of chapter 20, it says, Gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. Verse uh, 18 says, Plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. Yeah, that's, that's a good plan, right? Uh, New Testament, we talk about, or Jesus talks about, who would a king going to war, uh, he needs to count the cost. Does he have enough material and soldiers to prevail? Um, so here's another one. Uh, the next verse says, A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. I don't know if I told you or not. I'm reading from the NIV, New International Version. Sopi reads from the NLT, New Living Translation, which is a little bit more readable, a little bit more uh, easy to understand in some cases. There's not a lot of big words. Uh, the NIV is a, an, a, what's it, an attempt called dynamic equivalence. It's not a word-for-word translation, but they're trying to con- convey the concept from the original language into English. Verse 25 of the same chapter, it's a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. This concept of dedicating something often to the Lord, uh, if you do that rashly and quickly, you may live to regret it because you didn't think that through and now you've made a vow and you need to keep it because that's what the Bible teaches. Moving on to the next chapter of Proverbs, verse uh, 2 of chapter 21, says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. The next verse says, A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Verse 8, The way of the guilty is devious, but the conduct of the innocent is upright. As an aside, one of the things that I took away from my upbringing from my mother, these are not not a quote, but this is what I gathered. If you always tell the truth, You'll never have to worry about what you said. You don't have to remember it. Other people will remember it. And when you speak again, you don't have to say, did I tell this one that way or did I say it? Did I try to cover it up a little bit here? You end up with so many places that you you told the story that you can't keep it covered. And so the lie becomes known nearly immediately. So if you'll always tell the truth, you don't have to try and remember what you said. Now, circumstances do change, and so sometimes you've said something that later turns out to be different or no longer true, but it was true when you said it. You weren't trying to cover. You weren't trying to lie. Uh, 
Number or chapter 21, verse 6. I already said that. Uh, verse 11, when a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. By paying attention to the wise, they get knowledge. So uh, I'm going to stop for just a moment and remind us that this is a quiz show, and I'm going to give you some questions. And I have a Bible that we can give as a, uh, a gift to someone who is chosen from the responses that are given back. It's called the Warfighter's Study Bible. It's about 860 pages long. It's not designed to be read quickly. It's a study Bible. But it's a very nice, uh, nice paperback edition published by the American Bible Society. So I'm going to give you some questions now from Proverbs, a couple of them. Verse uh, 17 of chapter 20 says, Stolen bread tastes sweet, but it turns to gravel in the mouth. Now that's from the New Living Translation, but that turns to gravel in the mouth is in the New King James, it's in King James, it's in ESV, it's in NIV. So what in the world does that mean? It turns to gravel in the mouth. That's a question if you can give me an answer. We'll uh, see if we can make somebody a winner. Another question out of Proverbs. What does discipline drive from the heart of a child? That comes from chapter 22, verse 15. What does discipline drive from the heart of a child? Well, I'm going to move back to Proverbs and do a little bit more reading of some verses. Verse 15 says, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Whoever strays from the path of prudence comes to rest in the company of the dead. Ooh, so it pays to be prudent, huh? So let's move on to verse 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Verse 23, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Let me repeat that one. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Well, guarding your mouth would mean a couple of things, maybe. It would be not speaking quickly. It's guarding your words so that you're not saying something that's untrue or unkind or unwise. And... Um, in doing so, you can keep yourself from a lot of trouble or calamity. Verse 28 says, A false witness will perish, but a careful listener will testify successfully. The next verse says, The wicked put up a bold front, but the upright give thought to their ways. The next verse, verse 30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, and no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Well, that's comforting in these days, isn't it? No wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. We've got a lot of people in our society today who think they're wise and they are held out to be wise. But if they're taking their wisdom, and the air quotes, wisdom, and trying to plan against God, they're not going to succeed in the long run. They might have a short-run game, but they're going to pay the price. Now, here's another one that uh, you could help your little children with. Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. 
to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So when you have uh, children, you've given them your name, last, last name, surname. And so it's important, I think, for them to understand that a good name, a good reputation is very valuable. It's desirable, more than great riches. Verse 3, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. They're in a rush. They're not showing prudence. Verse 4, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. The next verse follows, in the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would preserve their life stay far from them. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That often is used as a promise rather than a proverb. So the proverb states that if we teach our children the right way to go, the chances are pretty good that they won't depart from that. But you don't control that. They have a heart of their own. They have a will of their own, a mind of their own. And so the general rule would be if they get brought up right, they're going to turn out right. But certainly we have exceptions to that rule. Verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Wow. That's a good one to keep in mind, especially if you're borrowing money from a person, and especially if it's a friend. That's going to possibly go south on you if things don't go well. If you do happen to borrow from somebody, you should repay it, and you shouldn't have to be asked for it. You should repay it quickly, like when you said you were going to. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay you next week, or as whatever you used to say, I will gladly pay uh, buy you a hamburger, or pay, I'll pay you Tuesday for a hamburger. I, I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Yeah. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, wimpy. Wimpy, okay. <laughs> yeah. gladly. So if you're going to pay him Tuesday, pay him Tuesday. Don't wait for me to come by. Hey, it's Tuesday. Are you going to pay me? So that concept of you're, when you borrowed money, you're a slave to the lender. And so we should probably try to avoid that. It's a, it's a good passage. So let's see. We move off to the generous will defend. I'm sorry, that will themselves be blessed. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Next is drive out the mocker, and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. Wow. So there's, it's amazing to me the wisdom that, that Solomon and these others uh, have conveyed to us. The, we observe this in our daily life, and this was held about 3,000 years ago, maybe a little, give or take 100 years. So it was true then, it's true now, and it will be true as long as we have people populating this world. So here's another one. This has to do with we quit disciplining children. And back with uh, Dr. Spock, we can't spank anymore because that's child abuse or whatever. Well, I'm not sure that that follows up scripturally. Verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. It doesn't mean you have to beat your kid. It means spanking or the equivalent. When they deliberately violate, disobey, your instructions to them. It's not just making a mistake, you're spilling a milk, a glass of milk or something. It's, that's not discipline. That's just discipline is bringing up somebody short on the, they, hey, they failed on something, 
you've got to impose discipline. So, how about this one? Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he frustrates the words of the unfaithful. Then verse 16, one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. Huh. So if you're not wealthy, don't be giving money to a wealthy person. You're trying to bribe them or trying to get in their good graces. Don't do that. Let them be the one that's generous to you and things will work much better. Verse 22, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Ooh, that means to me that the, the Lord is taking up the case of the poor. So that would be advisable to not uh, oppress them, not to take advantage of them because the Lord is going to take up their case. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Ooh, how about that? There is a lot of wisdom that uh, is, encap uh, is encapsulated in these three chapters of Proverbs that we uh, have talked about today. So uh, reminding you that this is a call-in show and if you have uh, an answer for either of the first two questions that I asked, you can call and let us know at 210-364-9585. This is a Bible Live quiz show, and I will have more questions for you. And we're moving on to uh, another segment here as soon as we get back. We'll be looking at uh, some passages or questions out of 1 Corinthians. How much time have I got, John? You've got about uh, four minutes. Wow. He held up his hand and said five. I thought that was five seconds. <laughs> So uh, let's look at some questions out of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. If Jesus was not resurrected, what value does Christianity have? Paul writes about that in uh, chapter 15 of 1st Corinthians, verses 14 through 19. So if Christ was not resurrected, what value would our faith have, our Christianity? Paul answers that. You can put it in succinct words. It doesn't have to be exactly match what I have for an answer here for you. Uh, the Corinthian church was participating in a special financial offering that was to be given to whom? They were collecting money that was going to be sent back to some place. That's in 1 Corinthians 16.1. And they were victims of famine and persecution and were in pretty tough financial straits. And so the Corinthian church sent uh, this gift to a place and some Christian someplace. Can you answer that question? What major problem motivated Paul to write 2 Corinthians? This is found in 2 Corinthians 2.17 and then chapters 10.1 through 13 and 10. He's making a pretty big point that they need to be careful about certain folks in the church that are coming around the church and teaching. Be careful. According to 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? 2 Corinthians 3.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, when a person becomes a Christian, how is he changed? 
What happens when someone becomes a believer, a follower of Christ? That passage, 2 Corinthians 5.17, says something very specific. After we're reconciled to God, we become ambassadors for Christ, urging other people to do what? That's in 2 Corinthians 5.20. So some have said, when trying to defend themselves for not being a very outspoken person about their faith, we are ambassadors whether we like it or not. The choice we have is that whether we're going to be a good ambassador. We send people from this government, representing this government, to other countries all over the world to represent our interests. Some of those ambassadors put us in a very unfavorable light because of their lifestyle, because of maybe they drink too much, or maybe they carouse, or maybe they uh, are involved in adulterous relationships. So it, it reflects poorly on the country who has sent them to be the ambassador. So as Christians, we are ambassadors. The choice for us then is whether we are a good ambassador or not. Okay, so Paul says it's not enough just to be sorry about our sin. What must be added to godly sorrow? That's in chapter 7, verse 10. Not enough just to be sorry about our sin. What's the follow-on to that? We shouldn't give reluctantly or out of obligation, for God loves what kind of a giver? That's in chapter 9, verse 7. We are somewhat obligated. I don't want to say that we're not obligated to give, but that's not how we should give out of duty and obligation, but out of a some kind of an attitude. And see if you can find that in chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 7. Just as Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so Satan's services can deceive by presenting themselves as what? Chapter 11, verse 14 and 15. So stay with us. We'll be back shortly, and we'll pick up some more questions, and then we're going to move into Job. And remember, you can call us and join in uh, with a comment, question, uh, thought, 210-340-9585. Again, that's 210-340-9585. The Bible Live will return in just a moment. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. And welcome back to the Bible Live. 
I am John Harrison. I'm going to throw it back to Al Johnson in just just a moment. You're probably wondering, how can you do a Bible Live broadcast without at least one member of the Dollar family? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. In the city. And it's sounding good so far, I think. I think. And you can be part of it, too. You can get your voice on the radio. Uh, 210-340-9585. It's 210-340-9585. If you have a comment, you want to answer one of the questions that Al gave out a little while ago, please do join us. We'd love to hear from you. And now, more with Al Johnson. Yeah, I just want to make sure that you don't miss miss what? What's that uh, word I'm looking for? Mistake my voice for Soapy. He is a Mescalero Apache Indian. I'm a pretty light-skinned Norwegian Swede. And oh, you're not, you're not Apache? Uh, no, I'm not Apache. Uh, the best I can do is call him Kimosabi. Or me, Kimosabi. I'm not sure. But we get a chance to chat back and forth. and Tonto? Rib, rib each other a little bit. So um, well, I'm going to move into the book of Job. And... Uh, there are some questions that I'm going to call, uh, but I, before I ask any questions, I just want to set the stage. We all know of Job as a, we talk about someone who had the patience of Job, don't we? Um, patience is one way of saying it. Mother Teresa has a quote that I, that <laughs> has a lot to do with the book of Job as far as I can see. It says like this, I know God will give me anything I won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. So as we start the book of Job, there's a little discussion going on. Um, Let me see if I can pick it up here. Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil, it says in verse 1. And uh, he had seven sons and three daughters. He had ten kiddos. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. It also says in the NIV that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So he had a pretty good reputation. So um, verse 6 says, One day the angels or the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? Satan asked the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Wait a minute. Job isn't in on this one. God's setting him up with Satan. Are you kidding me? That's where this Mother Teresa quote comes in for me. Job didn't have any idea what was happening. He just knew that he'd been blessed by God. And so God, uh, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright and a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. 
Well, Job didn't get the, didn't get the memo that this was going to happen to him. And so um, it says, then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Then Job gets a bunch of messages all in one day. His sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. And the messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabaeans came and attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother, oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, I don't know that many of us would be willing to at, or able to at that time, having this much calamity come upon you all in one day, having all of your wealth, all of your children, everything that was in your possession removed from you, and then to worship and praise God. So the next chapter starts out, on another day the angels came, or the sons of man came, sons of God came, to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? So then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? sounds like he's got this thing that he wants to show that Job is kind of a, a trophy guy here. He, he's willing to put him up to the test. There is no one on the earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Now, without trying to create confusion... I don't know how to read that because did Satan cause it in the first case or did God? This makes it put makes it look like God is saying that Satan made God do this to uh, Job. Either way, I don't know that that's terribly important. The point I'm trying to make is Job had everything that was of value to him removed, gone, burned up, blown away, whatever, stolen. And so... Um, Satan replied, skin for skin, a man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Then we get this wonderful quote from his wife. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you're, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? 
In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now his three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So his friends, you know, it looks to me like they're uh, empathizing with him. They're there to give him support. We'll find out uh, very shortly that they were not quite that (laughs) helpful to Job. They accused him of having all this calamity fall upon him because he was, had unconfessed sin in his life. And uh, for the next many chapters, they're uh, going after Job and saying, look, you just haven't, you just, you, you, you've done something wrong. This just doesn't happen to someone who's living rightly and living in the, in the presence of God. So what have you done? What, what's going on? And he defended himself. He said, no, I, I haven't done anything wrong. So the the point I'm trying to make about his friends that turned out to not be so friendly over this long discourse had uh, tried to intim- intimidate or intimate, I guess is the right word, I'm sorry, intimate that Job had brought this calamity on himself because he had not lived rightly. He hadn't uh, confessed his sin. He had unconfessed sin in his life. And that certainly is not the case. But what, don't you ever wonder... Why would God put Job through that? Why wouldn't Job have been given a little heads up? Hey, hey, bud, I'm going to give you a chance to show me up. Do it right. Satan's coming after you. Be strong. He didn't, apparently, had no indication that Satan was going to attack him and that he was going to be put through all of this misery. So the health condition that, that he was struck with boils. I don't know what kind of infection he had but he took a some ceramics of of pots or something and scraped his skin to get this ugliness off uh he he was in misery and his uh his fellow uh, his friends saw that he was in such pain and suffering that they didn't say a word to him for seven days that's a long time to be wordless and it's a long time to be in pain and suffering for job So uh, I've got a question for you from the book of Job. What prompted the first conversation about Job between God and Satan? That's in verse 8 of the first chapter. What prompted the first conversation about Job between God and Satan? By the way, uh, the New Living Translation speaks of Job, uh, speaks of Satan, I'm sorry, as the accuser or an accuser. We also see that in uh, Revelation 12.10, the accuser of the brethren, speaking of Satan. So, um, in the first test of Job's faith, what does God allow Satan to do? It's found in verse 12, and I read those to you. That was the first thing on verse 12. Now, here's another question from the book of Job. What's the title given to Satan. I think I already gave that to you and I was so I 
You can't get any credit for calling in with that one. The accuser is what he is called both here in, in New Living Translation in both the first chapter and the second chapter and in Revelation 12.10. You won't see that name, the accuser, in the ESV, the NIV, the King James. But um, the accuser, that's what Satan does. He accuses us, sometimes puts a thought in our mind that we've, we're not believers. Christians don't do that. You can't, you're not a, you're not a Christian. When, here's how I try to view that. Based on this Revelation 12:10, when Satan accuses us in front of the Father of not being a Christian or not being, not living right, I think that Jesus looks to his dad and he says, you know what, Pop? I paid for that. He's ours. Don't listen to that guy. Don't listen to Satan. So that's, that's my view of how this interaction goes in heaven when Satan is accusing us in front of the Father. Jesus says, I got that covered. I paid for that, Dad. I paid, with it, paid for it with my life and my blood. And he believes in me. He's trusted me for his salvation. He's ours. So uh, in the second test, what did God allow Satan to do to Job in the second test of his faith? That's found in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. And I've already read those to you, but I want you to answer it, if you will. Don't be shy. Give us a call, 210-340-9585. Repeating that, 210-340-9585. Well, let's see if I can uh, pull something else up here out of the book of Job. And let me slick slick down here. I'm using my phone here for just a little bit to see if I can read it a little easier than this small print in this Bible that I have. So I've already read that to you from the first and second chapter. So I'm going to move on to... Eliphaz's first response to Job. He said, Will you be patient and let me say a word? For who could keep from speaking out? In the past, you've encouraged many people. You've strengthened those who were weak. Your words have supported those who were falling. You encouraged those with shaky knees, but now, when trouble strikes, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Stop and think. Do the innocent die? There we go. See, Job, you're not innocent. Do the innocent die? When, we have the up, when have the upright been destroyed? You're not living right. My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. A breath from God destroys them. They vanish in a blast of his anger. The lion roars and the wildcat snarls, but the teeth of the strong lions will be broken. The fierce lion will starve for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness will be scattered. This truth was given to me in secret, as though whispered in my ear. It came to me in a disturbing vision at night, when people are in a deep sleep. Fear gripped me, and my bones trembled. A spirit swept past my face, and my hair stood on end. The spirit stopped, but I couldn't see its shape. It was in the form before my eyes. In the silence, I heard a voice say, Can a mortal be innocent before God? 
Can anyone be pure before the Creator? If God does not trust his own angels and has charged his messengers with foolishness, how much less will he trust people made of clay? They are made of dust, crushed as easily as a moth. They are alive in the morning but dead in the evening, gone forever without a trace. Their tent cords are pulled and the tent collapses, and they die in ignorance. Now, I don't find that very encouraging, just between you and me. Um, he's accusing Job of living a life that is not righteous. It's not upright. So he's trying to place the blame. This is Eliphaz putting the blame on Job. You don't have anywhere to look except your own uh, bringing it on yourself. So he continues, cry for help, but will anyone answer you? Will the angels help you? Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. I have seen that fools may be successful in the moment, but then comes sudden disaster. Their children are abandoned far from help. They are crushed in court when no one can defend them. The hungry devour their harvest, and even when it is guarded by brambles. The thirsty pant after their wealth. But evil does not spring from the soil, and troubles do not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble, as readily as the sparks fly up from a fire. If I were you, I would go to God and present my case to him. He does great things too marvelous, too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. He gives rain for the earth and water for the fields. He gives prosperity to the poor and protects those who suffer. He frustrates the plans of schemers so that the work of their hands will not succeed. He traps the wise in their own cleverness so their cunning schemes are thwarted. They find it is dark in the daytime and they grope at noon as though it were night. He rescues the poor from the cutting words of the strong and rescues them from the clutches of the powerful. And so at last the poor have hope and the snapping jaws of the wicked are shut. But consider the joy of those corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. For though he wounds, he also bandages. He strikes, but his hands also heal. From six disasters he will rescue you. Even in the seventh, he will keep you from evil. He will save you from death in time of famine, from the power of the sword in time of war. You will be safe from slander and have no fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine. Wild animals will not terrify you. You will be at peace with the stones of the field, and its wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your home is safe. When you survey your possessions, nothing will be missing. You will have many children. Your descendants will be as plentiful as grass. You will go to the grave at a ripe old age, like a sheaf of grain harvested at the proper time. We have studied life and found all this to be true. Listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. See, Job, it's your problem. You've brought this on yourself. Well, Job says, well, maybe I got a little response for you. If my misery could be weighed and my troubles put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. He, he decides to defend himself a bit. That is why I spoke impulsively, for the Almighty has struck me down with his arrows. Their poison infects my spirit. God's terrors are lined up against me. Don't I have a right to complain? Don't wild donkeys bray when they find no grass? And oxen bellow when they have no food? Don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? My appetite disappears when I look at it. I gag at the thought of eating it. Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant my desire. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would reach out with his hand and kill me. At least I can take comfort in this, 
Despite the pain, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. But I don't have the strength to endure. I have nothing to live for. Do I have the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless without any chance of success. One should be kind to a fainting friend, but you accuse me of without any fear of the Almighty. My brothers, you have proved as unreliable as a seasonal brook that overflows its banks in the spring when it is swollen with ice and melting snow. But when the hot weather arrives, like here in South Texas, the water disappears. If you've ever gone down to Del Rio or out that way across across those uh, bridges, the rivers underneath, they've got a name, but there's no river there this time. There's no water. The brook vanishes in the heat. The caravans turn aside to be refreshed, but there is nothing to drink, so they die. The caravans from Tima search for this water. The travelers from Sheba hope to find it. They count on it, but are disappointed. When they arrive, their hopes are dashed. You, too, have given no help. You have seen my calamity, and you are afraid. But why? Have I ever asked you for a gift? Have I begged for anything of yours for myself? Have I asked you to rescue me from my enemies? Or to save me from ruthless people? Teach me, and I will be quiet. Show me what I have done wrong. Honest words can be painful, but what do your criticisms amount to? Do you think your words are convincing when you disregard my cry of desperation? You would even send an orphan into slavery or sell a friend. Look at me. Would I lie to your face? Stop assuming my guilt, for I have done done no wrong. Do you think I'm lying? Don't I know the difference between right and wrong? Is not all life a struggle? Our lives are like that of a hired hand, like a worker who longs for the shade, like a servant waiting to be paid. I, too, have been assigned months of futility long and weary nights of misery. Lying in bed, I think, when will it be morning? But the night drags on, and I toss till dawn. My body is covered with maggots and scabs. My skin breaks open, oozing with pus. My days fly faster than the weaver's shuttle. They end with no, without hope. Oh, God, remember that my life is but a breath, and I will never again feel happiness. You see me now, but not for long. You will look for me, but I will be gone. Just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes, those who die will not come back. They are gone forever from their home, never to be seen again. I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? I think my bed will comfort me, and sleep will ease my misery. But then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. I would rather be strangled rather than die and suffer from than suffer like this. I hate my life and don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. What are people that you should make us or make so much of us that you should think of us so often? For you examine us every morning and test us every moment. Why won't you leave me alone at least long enough for me to swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done to you? O watcher of all humanity, why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? for soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be gone. Well, then we get a little chance for Bildad, the second of his friends, to talk to Job. And how much time have I got, John? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I will read just a little bit here. Bildad the Shuhite replied to Job, Now how long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. 
But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, He will surely rise up and restore your happy home. And though you started with little, you will end with much. Just as the previous generation. Pay attention to the experience of your ancestors, for we were born but yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are as fleeting as a shadow, but those who come before, came before us will teach you. They will teach you the wisdom of old. Well, we're going to take a little break and come back and read some more from Job, see what we can learn from it for our own lives when we undergo some testing and uh, persecution maybe, ill health, uh, things that cause us pain, emotional pain as well as physical pain. Okay, we'll see you in a bit. Don't forget to give us a call, 210-340-9585. Let my son join the world that never because he You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Joy, bring out. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We His people sing. Oh, shout for joy, all the earth, as we enter in His gates. That's right, shout for joy, the love of Jesus Christ. John Harrison here, back with more of the Bible Live. Two segments down and one more to go. And so let's just uh, get back into things here. You can be part of the show by calling us up at 210-340-9585. I'm repeat that again for you. So if you have your pen or pencil or a crayon, 210-340-9585. And let's uh, shoot back over to Al Johnson. All right, thanks, John. So I'm going to pick up where I left off in chapter 8 of Job. Verse 11 starts, uh, this is Bildad. Can papyrus reeds grow tall without a marsh? Can, a marsh? can marsh grass flourish without water? While they are still flowering, not ready to be cut, they begin to wither more quickly than grass. The same happens to all who forget God. Boy, these guys don't, they just won't let up on Job, will they? The hopes of the godless evaporate. Their confidence hangs by a thread. They are leaning on a spider's web. They cling to their home for security, but it won't last. They try to hold it tight, but it will not endure. The godless seem like a lush plant growing in the sunshine, its branches spreading across the garden. The godless? Who are you talking to, Bildad? Come on, this is Job. Its roots grow down through a pile of stones. It takes hold on a bed of rocks. But when it is uprooted, it is as though it never existed. That's the end of its life, and others spring up from the earth to replace it. But look, God will not reject a person of integrity. See that, Job? If you had some integrity, this wouldn't have happened. 
nor will he lend a hand to the wicked. He will once again fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. You just got to get it right, Job, with the glory. You got to admit it. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the home of the wicked will be destroyed. Well, Job gives a little response to his buddy, Bildad. He says, yes, I know all this is true in principle, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? Without warning, he moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens and the marches on the waves of the sea. He has made all the stars and the bear and Orion, a couple of constellations, and Pleiades, another, and the constellations of the southern sky. He does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. Yet when he comes near, I cannot see him. When he moves by, I do not see him go. If he snatches someone in death, who can stop him? Who dares to ask, what are you doing? And God does not restrain his anger. Even the monsters of the sea are crushed beneath his feet. So who am I that I should try to answer God or even reason with him? Even if I were right, I would have no defense. I could only plead for mercy. And even if I summoned him and he responded, I'm not sure he would listen to me. For he attacks me with a storm and repeatedly wounds me without cause. He will not let me catch my breath, but fills me instead with bitter sorrows. If it's a question of strength, he's the strong one. If it's a matter of justice, who dares summon him to court? Though I am innocent, my own mouth would pronounce me guilty. Though I am blameless, it would prove me wicked. I am innocent, but it makes no difference to me. I despise my life. Innocent or wicked, it is all the same to God. That's why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a plague sweeps through, he laughs at the death of the innocent. The whole earth is in the hands of the wicked, and God blinds the eyes of the judges. If he's not the one who does it, who is? My life passes more swiftly than a runner. It flees away without a glimpse of happiness. It disappears like a swift papyrus boat, like an eagle swooping down on its prey. If I decided to forget my complaints, to put away my sad face and be cheerful, I would still dread all the pain, for I know that I will not find... You will not find me innocent, O oh God. Whatever happens, I will be found guilty. So what's the use of trying? Even if I were to wash myself with soap and clean my hands with lye, you would plunge me into a muddy ditch and my own filthy clothing would hate me. God is not a mortal like me, so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. The mediator could make God stop beating me and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak with him, to him without fear, but I cannot do that in my own strength. So Job then kind of takes his plea to God. I didn't read to you chapter 3 where Job, after he's told his, his wife that, you know, i got to take the bad along with the good, he really vented his spleen. He was in tremendous pain and he was angry. He didn't feel he deserved this. So now he's taking his uh, plea to God. He says, I'm disgusted with my life. Back in chapter 3, he wanted to die. He wanted to get out of here. He was in so much misery that this life was not for him. 
My bitter soul must complain. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you are bringing against me. Why do you gain? What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your own hands, while smiling on the schemes of the wicked? Are your eyes like those of a human? Do you see things only as people see them? Is your lifetime only as long as ours? Is your life so short that you must quickly probe for my guilt and search for my sin? Although you know I am not guilty, no one can rescue me from your hands. You formed me with your hands, you made me, yet you now completely destroy me. Remember that you made me from dust. Will you turn me back to dust so soon? You guided my conception and formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. Yet your real motive, your true intent, was to watch me. And if I sinned, I would not forgive my guilt. You would not forgive my guilt, I'm sorry. If I am guilty, too bad for me. And if I'm innocent, I can't hold my head high because I'm filled with shame and misery. And if I hold my head high, you hunt me like a lion and display your awesome power against me. Again and again, you witness against me. You pour out your growing anger on me and bring fresh armies against me. Why then did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you let me die at birth? It would be as though I had never existed, going directly from the womb to the grave. I have only a few days left, so leave me alone, that I may have a moment of comfort before I leave, never to return. For the land of darkness and utter gloom is a land as dark as midnight, and a land of gloom and of confusion where the, even the light is not very light. So Job is uh, complaining. He's miserable. He's uh, making his case before God. He, he wants relief. He wants to die. He, he doesn't know how to, to deal with all of this because he, he knows he's been living a life of attempted righteousness, and yet he knows that that's falling short of God's perfectness, perfect will. So, but God put him up to this with Satan. He said, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, there's nobody like him. He's righteous. He's a man of integrity. There's no one like him in the whole earth. And yet, he gave him over to Satan to abuse him, first with all of his goods and then with his health. So, Zophar, the last of his three friends, replies to Job, shouldn't someone answer this torrent of words? In other words, he's been listening to God, uh, Job now and making his case before God. Is a person proved innocent just by a lot of talking? Should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? You claim my beliefs are pure and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God would speak, if only he would tell you what he thinks, if only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. Good night, Zophar. What are you talking about? Uh, can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover anything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It is deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It is broader than the earth and wider than the sea. If God comes and puts a person in prison or calls the court to order, who can stop him? For he knows those who are false, and he takes note of all their sins. An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. If only you would prepare your heart and lift your hands to him in prayer. Get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten with innocence. 
You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. You will be like water flowing away. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope will give you courage. You will be protected and rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid, and many will look to you for help, but the wicked will be blinded. They will have no escape. Their only hope is death. Well, Job takes a little umbrance, umbrage, I guess is a better word for that, with Zophar, and he says, you know, you people don't know everything, do you? And when you die, wisdom will die with you. Well, I know a few things myself, and you're no better than I am. Who doesn't know these things you've been saying? Yet my friends laugh at me, for I call on God and expect an answer. I am a just and blameless man, yet they laugh at me. People who are at ease mock those in trouble. They give a push to people who are stumbling. But robbers are left in peace, and those who provoke God live in safety, though God keeps them in his power. Just ask the animals, and they will teach you. Ask the birds of the sky, and they will tell you. Speak to the earth, and it will instruct you. Let the fish of the sea speak to you, for they know all that my disaster has come from the hand of the Lord. For the life of every living thing is in his hand, and the breath of every human being. The ear tests the words it hears, just as the mouth distinguishes between foods. Wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. But true wisdom and power are found in God. Counsel and understanding are his. What he destroys cannot be rebuilt. When he puts someone in prison, there is no escape. If he holds back the rain, the earth becomes a desert. If he releases the waters, they flood the earth. Yes, strength and wisdom are his. Deceivers and deceived are both in his power. He leads counselors away, stripped of good judgment. Wise judges become fools. He removes the royal robes of kings. They are led away with their ropes around their waist. He leads priests away, stripped of status. He overthrows those with long years and power. He silences the trusted advisor and removes the insight of the elders. He pours disgrace upon princes and disarms the strong. He uncovers the mysteries hidden in darkness. He brings light to the deepest gloom. He builds up nations and he destroys them. He expands nations and he abandons them. He strips kings of understanding and leaves them wandering in a pathless wasteland. They grope in the darkness without a light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. Now, at this point, Job wants to argue his case before God. And we've got many more chapters here of this dialogue that goes on. And finally, uh, Job gets done venting his spleen, if you will, towards God. And God has this little message for him. He says, uh, so Job, you, you seem to know everything. Where were you when, when this was created? What's your take on this, Job? You, you know everything. What we do need to remember from the ending story here, I'm going to read the last uh, few verses of chapter 42. It says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than at his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter 
Jemima, in the name of the second, Keziah, in the name of the third, Karen Hapak. And all those in the land were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days. Before we uh, quit this evening, I want to make sure we look at a, a passage in Job 31. I've tried to uh, live up to Job's statement. Job 31.1, he says, this is when he's appealing to God. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? So this covenant with his eyes is something that I think all of us men need to consider. We live in a society where there's far too much... Uh, skin, I guess, is what we see when we walk around. Ladies are in some degree of uh, undress. I don't think that's uh, happenstance. They know that they're uncovered for the most part. But my job is to have a covenant with my eyes that I won't look lustfully at that woman. I will look away. I will avert my eyes. I can't prevent her from coming into my field of vision. But I can prevent my continuing to look after her and maybe consider the lustful aspects of what it would be like. Billy Graham said it this way. I'm paraphrasing him because I don't have the quote in front of me. He said, I'm walking along and a bird flies over and there's bird droppings that land right on my head, splat. He says, I can't prevent that. But I can prevent a bird from building a nest in my hair. In other words, we have a responsibility as men to recognize the temptation that we see and to do something about it, like avoid it. And uh, it's, it's a challenge with the society that we see virtually everywhere. There is uh, too much stuff being shown. But I can't do anything about that person. I can only do something with my eyes, avert them, and try to... Uh, make sure that I'm living a righteous, upright life. And then no matter what happens, no matter whether God, <laughs> though he slay me, as says in the King James, Job said, he will, I will still serve him no matter what he brings my way. Whether he's testing me, whether he allows Satan to do so, I want to be faithful to him. And so as we uh, look at the, the case that Job tried to make, defending himself. He knew he couldn't defend himself. But he wanted to make sure in front of his friends that they couldn't continue this nonstop harassing uh, of him saying that he was full of sin and he was unrighteous. It would be helpful for us if we understood what, we're, what our response is when people maybe falsely accuse us. I'm looking for this passage that I read just a few minutes ago and I'm going to try and see if I can get to it without any dead air. So the point is that we have a responsibility as believers that we should not um, 
accuse somebody because of what we see the suffering they're going through, accuse them of doing something that's uh, wrong, that they're in, living in sin. The, sin is not the result or the, the consequences of sin are not always what we see in ill health or calamities financially or something. We are tending sometimes, I think, to be um, judgmental when we see other people in some form of distress that they not live, they're not living right. So his three friends, Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, came to comfort him. However, all three wrongly assumed that Job's suffering was the result of some hidden sin. Each man urged Job to repent so that God would have mercy on him. But Job insisted that he was innocent. Although it is true that some suffering is a result of sin, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar oversimplified this truth. They believed that all troubles are punishment for wrongdoing, which was not the case for Job. The wrong actions of Job's three friends should remind believers today to be wise and sensitive when dealing with people in distress. The Lord rebuked Job's three friends and instructed Job to pray for them. That's found in Job 42, verses 7 through 9. So what do you find uh, in this passage, or passages that I've read from Job? What, what do you think uh, about the fact that God told Satan to go after Job? Do you find that a little bit disturbing? I do, but I'm not God. And Job was held up as a, a trophy, if you will, he was, God was bragging on Job, on Job in front of Satan. He was telling him, hey, go after him. See what you can do. He loves me. He's a righteous man. But the fact is, all of us, when we face calamity or we face painful circumstances in our life, are tempted sometimes to raise our hand and fist against God and be angry with God. Well, Job kind of got angry, but uh, God uh, made sure that he understood his relationship. He was created. The world was created. He's a small player. God is a big player. And so as we close our time together today, I want us to think about what is it that Job emulated that we could... <coughs> model our lives after and what did he do that we should avoid we uh, see what what we shouldn't do when it, when we have friends who are undergoing challenges we shouldn't accuse them of being living a life that's filled with sin and unrepentant because we have no idea what's going on all we can see is the circumstances that they they may be going undergoing financial distress maybe they lost a job and maybe they're losing their home because they're getting foreclosed on. Maybe they're, um, they've had a, a serious illness and it's kept them from work. And so it's, a, it's a, a treacherous thing on our part to accuse somebody else of being uh, outside of God's will or living a life of sin and being unrepentant when we don't know the circumstances. And God is a, a big, big God. He was able to take care of Job at the end he doubled everything to him. Not because he deserved it, because he wanted to bless him. He'd taken him through the ringer, so to speak, and at the end of it, Job came out 
uh, we use the phrase smelling like a rose. Um, not because he was righteous. He was declared righteous. When God talks about Noah was righteous or whoever he spoke of as righteous, he did so because he declared them righteous because all of us are sinful and we need a Savior. And that's why the whole purpose of, of Sophie going through the Bible every year is for us to understand that this book from Genesis to Revelation reveals Jesus as the Messiah. He reveals the fact that Jesus came to earth, put on an earth suit, was born as a baby, grew to adulthood, was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And then he gave his life as a ransom for us so that we could be uh, brought into right relationship with our Creator. Well, I've enjoyed my time. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Sophie should be back in the seat uh, next Sunday, so we'll see you then. is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.